Uh, just recently, we heard about Marineland being charged for uh, using whales in shows. I believe they were using uh, some dolphins in some shows, and that is definitely not uh, copacetic right now. Robin Urbach is with The Globe and Mail. She's a columnist, and she wrote a great piece on how we've shifted our uh, public opinion on animals in captivity, especially during the pandemic. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Well, no doubt about it, uh, there are a lot of people that can relate to animals that are kept in captivity. Over the last 20 months, we have, to a lesser degree, been told, hey, stay where you are, stay put. And for most of us, it's in our own habitat, but these animals have no choice. Can you talk about how the pandemic has shifted our view? Yeah, well, I think the progression of the public's view on on keeping animals in captivity has really shifted. I think in the last maybe 10 to 15 years, if you look at public polling, there's been a marked um, change in the way that we perceive of, of animals kept in zoos and aquariums and what have you. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is, is some of the reporting that's come out over the past several years about some of the conditions in which that these animals have been kept. Two are big cultural movements and events. I'm thinking, for example, of the documentary Blackfish that mm -hmm. came out probably about 10 years ago now. And it was about an orca at SeaWorld. And it, it painted this really moving emotional picture of, of what it's like to be sort of held in captivity. Um, but I think what's changed really over the past near two years is the fact that we can almost relate in a funny way. And I know that sounds absolutely extreme because we're not exactly being kept in cages. We're at home with our Netflix and our Uber Eats and all the comforts of home. But we have experienced some of the seclusion and abnormal sort of living arrangements that really some of these animals are. Um, and we've seen the, the real effects on the psyche that prolonged separation from family and friends can have. I'm thinking of studies that have come out over the past couple of months, even years of um, developmental delays among children, um, eating disorders among youth and adolescents, and just feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and depression, which we're seeing as a direct result of the seclusion that we're experiencing. And those same sorts of things have been perceived um, in animals that have been mm -hmm. kept in seclusion. And what's really interesting, too, is if you look internationally, domestically, um, at the way that some of these animals that are kept in captivity are kept calm and somewhat content, a lot of them are on anti-anxiety medications. And the same sorts of things that you and I might be on, these animals are on tranquilizers and all sorts of things to keep them calm because what we're doing by keeping them in these environments is we're separating them socially and we're putting them in really artificial, unnatural ways of living. And the effects of that can be really profound. So I was thinking, looking, there was um, a video that came out a couple of months ago of, of Kiska, who is a an, the last orca at Marineland um, in Niagara Falls. And there was this video of her kind of thrashing herself at the side of her enclosure, which a lot of um, 
marine uh, experts have been saying that's pretty abnormal behavior to see of a killer whale. And my first thought was like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> We've all been in lockdown for um, near two years now, living in a very artificial environment. I'm sure a few of us feel like banging our heads against the wall. We're not doing it, obviously. But I mean, I think there's a new level of empathy, perhaps, that some of us might be able to experience looking at these animals that have been living in a situation all their lives, practically, that we've just had a very little taste of over the past two years. You know, it really does depend on where you grew up in Canada. I mean, I think kids are right now a little more savvy than we were, but you know, I was one of those kids that would go to Marineland with my parents and you'd see the whales and they'd do their tricks. It wasn't until you mo I moved out to uh, the West Coast and you'd experience seeing those magnificent creatures in their natural ha natural habitat uh, swimming alongside a BC ferry if you were lucky enough to see it and then they'd, you know, go away or you'd see a pod, you know, when you were driving along the coast and you'd stop and take a look at them. It really is magnificent and you can see how wrong it is to take something that big out of its natural habitat and put it in, uh, you know, something that amounts to basically a goldfish bowl, if not even smaller. And one of the things that was punctuated when I was living out there is that although a lot of whales you see in captivity have that dorsal fin that flips over, that is not a normal state, uh, mm -hmm. physical state for those whales. They should have that dorsal fin straight up. That's how it is if you see them in nature. It's very, very rare that you would see that. Um, when we talk about these whales that are kept, I know that the government has passed uh, ending the Captivity of Whales and Dolphins Act, which will go into effect, uh, I believe, next year. What what is the fate of the animals that are already in captivity? Like what happens to Kiska? That's a really good question. And there's a lot of debate about that. Obviously, you can't just take a whale like Kiska, who has been in captivity for the last, I think, 40 or so years and throw her out in the ocean and say, good luck. Hope you have a good time. Um, that's not going to happen. So as you mentioned, this ending captivity of whales and dolphins act has a grandfather clause within it that allows parks and aquariums and, and zoos and what have you to keep, um, the animals that they already have in captivity to keep them. Um, there's a group of animal activists, however, that are pushing for Kiska and, um, other aquatic animals like her to be moved to sanctuaries. There's talk mm -hmm. about one outside. Um, off the coast of Nova Scotia that's in the works, Marineland opposes that. So there's all sorts of different debates about what to do with them. I think the ideal situation would be if, is if they could be relocated to sanctuaries to allow them to explore a more natural environment, but where they can still be monitored by veterinarians and other experts to make sure that they're getting what they need and they can survive in a semi-wild environment. Certainly, I think, and, and I think a lot of people would agree that that's probably a lot better than keeping her in a tank where she's doing basically laps around the tank and doing nothing else all day. So I think that would be the ideal scenario if you ask animal activists. Um, Marineland opposes that, but but certainly we have a few more years to go, I think, before any movement will happen in this regard. In your piece, you mentioned that public opinion has shifted on animal captivity. How much has it shifted? Where are we at? It's shifted, it's shifted a lot, actually. So I think if you, even if you look back just a couple decades, um, 
most people saw some sort of value, and I think some people do still in, in zoos and aquariums in terms of educating people about animals. And the argument is that if you see them firsthand, you have a, a new and better appreciation of what they are, how they live, why it's important to preserve their natural habitats and what have you. But I think really looking at the data that um, idea has sort of eroded over the past several decades. Um, I cite in my piece an Angus Reid poll from 2018, which was the year before the Ending Captivity of Whales and Dolphins Act was passed. Um, and it was nearly half of people that said that dolphin and whales should not be kept in captivity under any circumstances. And that's an enormous number compared mm -hmm. to even 10 years earlier. So the, the shift is happening. And I think the more we talk about it, the more pronounced that shift will be. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of enjoyment that people get by going out to zoos and aquariums and places like marine land. I know a lot of parents who are struggling for things to do with their kids on Saturdays see these places as a great resource and a place to teach their kids about wildlife. Um, I think there's still an argument to be made that those lessons can still be had without keeping animals in these unnatural and oftentimes cruel environments. Robin, I just wanted to make mention of this just, just so we had all the facts straight. I know I kind of lobbed a kind of something at you sideways because we do not pre-interview. Just so everybody knows, I know there is a, there are some people that pre-interview. We do not do that here. We let it organically flow our conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kiska's been at Marineland since 2011. Heather, our, our producer looked into it. She's 45. So I just want to make sure we got that right. right. Now, if I could, and I mean, it's a weird pivot, I get it, but I know that you were on with uh, Alan Carter a little while ago talking about your piece on how the anti-vaccine rants from Doug Ford's daughter are now a matter of public interest. Um, that was after basically they used his position to promote them at an anti-vax rally. Is that right? Yes. Uh, basically, she was sold as the daughter. She appeared with her husband as well. So on the marketing materials for the event, it was sort of noted that this wasn't just Krista Haynes' random Instagrammer. This was right. Krista Haynes' daughter of Doug Ford. Okay. So is the daughter of Doug Ford, since you know that happened, off the table? Are we still, like, as a journalist, where do we go with the latest information? I know she's been posting again, and I don't want to do anything that's not, that would uh, hurt journalistic integrity here. Um, but uh, yeah, she's making news again, as far as, you know, online, on social media platforms. Once that's been breached, do we just not talk about what she's doing? It's a, it's a tough thing to sort of determine. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer necessarily. I think the fact that she did bring her father into the mix ultimately does make her fair game. She can't claim to be a, a private citizen mm -hmm. after that and just sort of say, well, I only used my father's position for a moment, but now because I'm not using it in this one post, you can't talk about it. It doesn't work like that. There isn't take backs. On the other hand, I mean, the newsworthiness of her posting endlessly about snitching on, on or not snitching rather on family gatherings and, and what have you. I don't know that there's really so much value in talking about it, like what right. we learn from these sorts of things. Um, I would say really, if, if there's something new and noteworthy and really 
significant that she's saying, I would say it's fair game, but we have to reflect on, well, are we just talking about it because it's the daughter of Doug Ford? Um, or is there something inherently newsworthy or valuable or worthy of reflection about what she's saying? All right. Well, now I'm going to leave people. People can feel free to go to go online and check on social media on what we're talking about because I'm going to leave it at that because I, I kind of am leaning towards it's just because she's Doug Ford's daughter and quite frankly her messaging is is just uh, uh, to me really appalling. So I, I'm not going to touch on it. So I appreciate you getting that straight. <laughs> and I know that as I said, we don't pre-interview, so I appreciate that you, uh, you know, uh, were open enough to to answer my question. No problem. Pivot. Public opinion has shifted on animal captivity. The pandemic could push it over the edge. Have a read. It is a fantastic column, and I really appreciate your time, Robin. Thank you. Have a great day. Robin Urbach is a Globe and Mail columnist.